So this morning we are continuing on in our series we started last week called Central. We're, we're working our way through the book of Galatians. And so last week we started by looking at the first chapter in the book of Galatians. And, and today we're going to work our way into the second chapter. We're kind of, each week of this series we're looking at another chapter of the book of Galatians. And so last week I said, hey, I would love it if you take time to read through the book of Galatians. And I actually made the, the kind of comment that whatever we're going through, you know, on Sunday mornings or whatever it may be, maybe it's in uh, your Bible study that you're a part of or whatever it is, it's always good for you to read through whatever it is on your own as well as in the time that you're actually in that service or in those Bible studies. Um, because there's just something about taking time in your personal time to read through it and, and as well to help you just digest it and to spend some extra time in God's Word looking at it. And so I, I, I kind of challenged you last week. I said the whole book takes about 20 minutes to read through it. Six chapters. It's not a very long book of the Old Testament. You know, the New Testament, right? I kind of made that comment last week. And so how many of you took time and you read through the first chapter of Galatians last week? Okay, a few of you. Alright, hopefully, so my challenge then this week is hopefully more of you will read through the second chapter of Galatians this week as, as kind of a follow-up of what we're talking about today. I would encourage you to read Galatians chapter 3, but next week we'll be taking a little break from the series as next Sunday is Mother's Day, and we've got a special message next week all catered around Mother's Day as we're going to be celebrating uh, our mothers and grandmothers and all the special ladies in our church uh, that we just want to celebrate and honor next week in that way. And so, um, but here we read, we're reading through Galatians. And so as we begin today, I want to review last week a little bit of what we talked about. So the book of Galatians was written by who? The Apostle Paul, right? Who, who wrote much of the New Testament. And so he was writing it to the Galatian church, right? It's not a surprise. The book Galatians to the Galatian church. And last week we talked about the authenticity of the gospel and how some of the church in Galatia was being influenced by a different gospel. And really what it was was not that they were necessarily falling away into a false teaching that, that was way different from the gospel. Many of them were actually kind of falling back into... The Old Testament law was in reality what a lot of them were kind of reverting back to was the old Mosaic law. They were struggling to let go of the Mosaic law and grab a hold of the grace that had come through Christ in the new covenant that Christ had offered in, the, in faith that had come through Christ. And so last week, that's what Paul was warning them about, was this idea of the true gospel and the authenticity of the gospel that comes Christ, and there is no other gospel. That is the only gospel. There's one true gospel, and apart from that, everything else is false, and you need to make sure you're aware of that, and be careful not to find yourself falling into any of these other types of teaching. And practically speaking, I said there was three things we could take away from Galatians chapter 1 last week for us today. Number one, it was to respond to the gospel in our lives. Number two, it was to center our lives around the gospel. 
And number three, it was to live out the gospel each and every day. And that means not living out the gospel here on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night or around the comfortable group of Christian friends that we may have. It's living out the gospel each and every day, all the time, at our workplace, in our home, when we're alone, when, when we're around our friends that maybe are not Christians and still living out the faith each and every moment of every day, being consistent in our faith. That's what it means to live out the gospel, to consistently live out our faith. So today as we get into chapter 2, we're going to talk about how we can actually live out a gospel-centered life. What does it look like? How, how do we live out a life that is centered around the gospel? How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, to get us started this morning, I want to talk to you about an author, a journalist, a self-proclaimed guinea pig to kind of get us started this morning. There's a gentleman named A.J. Jacobs. He's not a Christian, but he's a guy who likes to read studies and he tests them on himself. That's why he says, I'm a guinea pig. He, he literally finds things and he tests them on himself. He's a gentleman who had Jewish background, but he wasn't a practicing Jewish, Jew. He knew that people uh, who lived according, or he knew that some people live according to the Bible. So he thought, you know what? I'm going to try to take 365 days and live precisely according to what Scripture says. That was his next test. Is I'm going to try to take a whole year and live precisely according to what Scripture says. So he set himself on a quest to read the Bible from cover to cover, take notes, and practice everything that he found in Scripture. And he wrote a book about his experiment, and you can actually see the cover of the book on the next slide here, as well as a picture of the individual. The book was called The Year of Living Biblically. The first thing he did was he grew out the big beard because he felt like that was what he was supposed to do. Because he read in Leviticus, you know, that it says that you're not supposed to put, you know, a blade to your hair and different things like that. And so he started to grow out his hair. He read the Old Testament. He found passages, as I said, in Leviticus 19.19, 19, which states, You should keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Nor shall you wear a garment of cloth sorry, made of two kinds of material. So what did he do? He got all practical. He went out and he said, I'm getting rid of all my t-shirts. Right? They're 50% cotton, 50% polyester. They're made of two different kinds of fabric. I can't wear them anymore. That's not biblical. And he exchanged them for an outfit that you would see an ancient Jewish individual wear. And that's what he wore around New York City, because that's where this gentleman lived. So for 365 days, he lived a regular life walking around New York City in that type of an outfit. As you can see, he really went out of his way to follow the scriptures he read in the Bible. And at the end of his experiment, he realized that it was literally impossible to live a life perfectly according to the Bible. That was his analysis. He said, you know what? It is literally impossible to live a perfect life according to what the Bible says. However, he did learn a few things along the way, he said, going through this. Many non-believers and even some Christians don't really understand how to live their lives according to the Bible. Scripture is to be interpreted for clear 
understanding. When God laid out the law for the children of Israel, He did so for them to understand what perfection and righteousness looked like. As they worked hard to follow the law, they always failed and realized that they couldn't abide by the law in their own strength. Man is born in sin and has a sin nature and cannot fulfill righteousness on their own. Right? You and I, we cannot fulfill righteousness on our own. We have a sin nature. We are born into sin. That is why Jesus came to be the Savior of mankind. Jesus came to be our righteousness and fulfill the law and be our substitute. Jesus comes to save us from our sinful habits and He changes us from our sinful state. You may have heard others say, I'm not going to church until I get right. Right? People say things like, I, I, I'm not in any state to go to church. What church is going to ever accept me for where I'm at right now in my life? I can't go until I get my life right. They need to realize that you will never be successful at getting your life right on your own. They're in need of Jesus to save them from themselves. Just like A.J. Jacobs, it's literally impossible to get your life right without who? Without Jesus. Because that's the reality. Is this gentleman, A.J. Jacobs, he was just reading the scripture and trying to live it up as if it was a bunch of rules and regulations. He had no relationship with Jesus. He, had no, he didn't know any of, any of the grace that came to relationship with Christ. He didn't understand any of that. He just said, these are a bunch of rules and regulations that I have to live my life by. And that's all that he sought as. Let's turn our Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 this morning if you haven't already. Otherwise, it will be on the screen behind me as well. So today we'll read part of the chapter. And as I said, I want to encourage you to read the rest of the chapter throughout your time this week. We're going to start and pick it up at verse 15 this morning. Where it says, We ourselves are Jews by birth, remember this is Paul speaking here, and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. <coughs> We're going to stop there for a moment and discuss a theme that Paul is explaining to the Galatians here. He used a word that I want to take a minute and, 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 and look at for a moment. And that's the word justified. Right? Justified. Right? We, we hear this term, justified, justification, justice. But what, what does it really mean? What does justified mean? A lot of people today don't necessarily know what it means. Or maybe they have a skewed idea of what the word justified truly means. The word justice is a term that we use often in this day and age. But it doesn't mean that we use it accurately or appropriately or as it was meant to be, as it, as it was used in the time in which the scripture was written. Does anyone know what this next picture is up here on the screen? It's a scale, right? It's a balance scale. It's an old school scale known as a balance scale. It's used for weighing objects to find out 
their proper weight. Before the days of spring scales that we can go stand on, the ones where a dial will tell you how much you weigh, or even today we have our digital scales where you stand on it and there's just a screen and it tells you how much you weigh. We had these old school balance scales that you had to use where you had to preset weight place on one side of the scale, and then you would place the object you were trying to weigh or measure on the other side of the scale. And you had to keep adjusting the weight on the one side until all of a sudden they balanced, right? And then you realize, okay, this is how much the object weighs, but how much weight is on the other side of the scale once they are at an even balance. When it's in mid-air without touching the ground, you have balance. You have a justified weight. A justified weight. Now, when you hear of justice today, what do you think of? What are some things that come to your mind when you hear the word justice today? Right? Many of us, our mind immediately goes to the legal system. It immediately goes to to maybe a, a certain high-profile case, or it goes to some type of, uh, of legal justice or, or injustice or something. But often it goes right to the legal system when we think of the word justice anymore today. Right? If someone breaks the law, they are brought to a courtroom where there is then a judge who's there. And if there's evidence brought against that person, the judge assesses the case, and if they're guilty, the judge declares a punishment. Or in some cases, a jury will decide if they are guilty or not, and the judge will declare what the punishment is going to be. In the judicial system, everyone wants justice, right? That, that is the point of the judicial system, is to see justice prevail. Right? For example, here's the thing. If there was a drunk driver who crashed into a minivan that was carrying a young child, and that young child died as a result of that accident, the family would want justice carried out. They would want punishment to fit the crime that happened in that situation. But let's just say all of a sudden the drunk driver goes to court and he's found guilty of the crime that he committed, but he was only sentenced to three days for that crime. Would the family be satisfied by the system? No. Because even though the verdict was what they were what they were desiring, the outcome is not what they were hoping for. They, they would not feel as though justice had been served by the three-day sentence that had been handed out to the, the person who had committed the crime. But in God's eyes, on one side of the scale, we have righteousness. And if we were to try to measure up with God's righteousness by following all the rules and doing as much good or as many works as we could in our whole entire lifetime, do you think the balance of a scale would ever measure out? No, it wouldn't, right? We can never do enough good. We can never follow enough rules to ever balance out God's righteousness that He has for us. Nothing we can do will ever match God's righteousness for 
Again, if we look at verse 16, the first part of verse 16 that we read in that passage, it says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Not through works of the law, but through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. The only thing that could balance the scale is faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the balance of God's righteousness. Because he is the only person who ever lived a truly righteous, sinless life. Now that we understand this idea of justice or justification a bit more, let's continue to pick up this passage to see what Paul is talking about in context. Starting again in verse 17 of Galatians chapter 2, we read, But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For though the law I died, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Right? So if we look at that passage and we go, how do we summarize that? Basically what Paul is saying here is you cannot achieve righteousness, the righteousness of God, by simply trying to be perfect. Right? How many of you in here this morning would be saying, you're a perfectionist? Right? How many of you by a show of hands would say, I, I tend to be a perfectionist? Right? Yeah. A lot of us by nature tend to want to be perfectionists. And there's nothing wrong with that idea of being a perfectionist. I'm not, I'm not trying to shame people who are perfectionists. I'm just saying, sometimes we, we want to be perfect. And that's great most of the time. But the reality is that in our faith, we cannot be perfect enough to receive God's righteousness. A.J. Jacobs tried to live perfect according to the Bible, using his own strength for 365 days. And he said, you know what he said? He said, I failed. He said, it is not possible. He failed because he didn't have God in his life to lead him and to be his strength to help him live a godly, gospel-centered life. Again, I want to read what verse 20 said. Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So who balances the scale with righteousness on one side? Jesus. Who lived a sinless, perfect life? Jesus did, right? Who is the definition of God's righteousness? Jesus is. Paul says it is Christ who lives through him. Jesus paid the price that we deserved, and Jesus gave him the righteousness of God in order to balance out the scale to be justified in God's eyes. 
Paul said he was astonished in chapter 1. We talked about the last phrase. He said, I am astonished that some of you have walked away from the true gospel. I am astonished. I can't believe it. That some members of the Galatian church were turning away to another gospel. We're turning back to the old Mosaic covenant. How could they be led to believe that there was a different way to balance the scale of justification other than faith through Jesus Christ? Salvation in Jesus is not trying to be good by works. Salvation in Jesus is through faith. There are four points this morning we can learn through this passage in Galatians chapter 2. First one, quite simply, we are all sinners in need of the gospel. Right? Straightforward. Paul wrote in this letter to the people at the Galatian church who were Jews by birth. He referred to him, right? He said, we are Jews, but we are sinners, and we need salvation. Gentiles are non-Jews who didn't have the law or God to lead them, right? That's you and I today. I'm pretty sure that all, every single one of us in here are Gentiles. I don't, I, I don't believe any of us in here are Jews this morning, right? But when Jesus came to save the sinners, his gospel message included those who were far off. Those who were far away from him, those who were sinners, those who were yet to be born, those who did not know him, and included Gentile sinners who needed to be saved from their sins. So number one, we are all sinners in need of the gospel. Another thing we can learn from this passage this morning is number two, the Holy Spirit lives inside of those who believe the gospel. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of those who believe in the gospel. In the Old Testament, right, the temple was the place that was sacred and holy, and it was the dwelling place of God. But the thing is, even in the early church, and then still today, there are many who still have the mindset that God lives inside of a building, inside of a church, such as this one. Right? That's simply not the case. Right? Who is the church? We are the church. The body of Christ is the church. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And that is what makes up the church. Right? Look at this building. Right? It's wood. It's sheetrock. It's tile. It's a concrete uh, foundation. Beautiful as it is, it's a structure. It's an object. It is not the church. It is a church. We as people, as believers, are the church. Right? It's currently used as a place of worship, but God is not limited to living here. He's not limited to moving here. He is not limited to only affecting people when they walk inside of these walls. In the New Covenant, when Jesus came, we see that God, through His Holy Spirit, said that He comes and dwells inside of us. In Romans 8, 11, Paul says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, he will help you maintain and live a life centered on the gospel. Practically speaking, that means that, you know what, there are times in your life where, where your flesh, and in your nature, you're going to want to do things. 
You may be drawn towards things, but as believers, when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, the Holy Spirit will nudge us and say, you know what, maybe that's not the best idea. Pastor Micah, I, I don't know. You, you, know right? you, get, you get that sense inside you that's going, I don't know that that's the best decision. I don't know that that's the wisest thing for you to do. That Holy Spirit is speaking to you. It's nudging you. It's saying, I don't know. That that's probably not the wisest choice for you to do that. Right? That sometimes people in the world will say, well, that's just your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, speaking to you, prodding you, directing you, guiding you, helping you know what you should and shouldn't do. Here, here's, here's a question, not a question, kind of a, a, a consideration for you this morning to think about. As believers, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. That means we bring the Holy Spirit with us everywhere we go. Right? So sometimes we got to think about that in the places we go. you got to realize, Ooh, I've got the Holy Spirit in here with me. What does he think about that? You know, is he going to be overly pleased that I brought him here with me? At the same time, then you go, you know what? That also means the Holy Spirit can help me in the situation. He can empower me in the situation. And he can, he can help me through the situation as well. But it helps think about that. You know what? Wherever I go, that means that the Holy Spirit is there with me as well. Third thing that we can take away from this passage this morning. Responding to the gospel means literally giving yourself away. Responding to the gospel means to literally give yourself away. In verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, It is no longer I who live, but who? Christ who lives in me. Paul describes his willingness to surrender everything to God. His whole life belongs to God. And he has made it clear that he is living a Christ-centered life. When people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, they give up their dreams, their ambitions, their aspirations, their lives to live for and to serve God. So here's some hard questions for you to ask yourself. First and foremost, have you surrendered your heart to Jesus? And secondly, have you literally given yourself away to Him? Have you given Him all of yourself, everything? Where you can say, you know what, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Think about that for a moment, because we need to evaluate ourselves in the light of what Scripture tells us. The daily decisions we make, are they gospel-centered decisions? Do they show that we've given ourselves away to Christ? Can you identify with Galatians 2.20 and say that Christ lives inside of me, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me and is moving inside of me, that I have given myself fully away and surrendered myself to Him. The fourth thing we can take away from the passage this morning is the Gospel is not about following a set of rules. It's about living a new life by faith. It's not about following a set of rules. It's about living a new life by faith. A.J. Jacobs did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him. He did not have a relationship with the Lord. He was just trying to follow a set of rules. And Paul was trying to communicate that the true gospel message to the Galatian church is that being a Christian is not about following rules. It's about life transformation. 
start a relationship with Christ. And what does that mean to live by faith? Your actions follow what you believe. Your actions will follow what you believe. Right? If the door in here burst open this morning, and someone came in and they yelled, there's a bomb planted underneath each chair in the room, and they're going to blow up in 30 seconds, you would have two ways you could respond this morning. You would either jump up out of your seat, and you would run out of here as fast as you can, or you would just simply sit there, right? Those are, those are the two responses you can have. Jump up and run out, or you could just sit there. And the response would simply be dictated by what you believe. By what you believe. Why? Because our actions follow what you believe. Faith is what you believe. Your actions will prove that faith. Let me repeat that. Faith is what you believe. Your actions prove that faith. Right? We give ourselves away to Christ. We surrender everything. Our life is forever changed because we give ourselves over to Him. It means things in our life change. Right? For example, it's like when, when a young lady gets married, right? There are things in her life that change, such as she gives up her last name. Right? Her name changes. And so as a result, there's other things that have to change. She has to change her driver's license. She has to change her passport. Right? There's a number of things that have to change because you've given yourself over to another individual. And the same is true in the sense when we give ourselves over to Christ. We are giving ourselves over to Christ and we are made new. We are making ourselves one with Christ. We are identifying with Jesus. We identify with Him and we become one with Christ. Many things change about us. And our lives are no longer centered on ourselves, but they are centered on who? On Christ. This is how we believe by faith when we respond to the gospel. We believe that we have been changed from what we used to be to who God has in store for us to be. If I could get the worship team to come back up. Faith is what you believe. Your actions will prove your faith. Right? So what do you believe? What do you believe? Are you living a life that is centered around the gospel? Right? The reality is, number one, we're all sinners the need of the gospel. And once we come into relation with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes, and number two, dwells inside each and every one of us. Number three, when we respond to the gospel, part of the requirement is that we literally give all of ourselves away, the Apostle Paul is telling us, for it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And finally, the gospel is not about following a set of rules it's about living a new life of faith. And so this morning, as we have a, a closing time here, we're going to have a time of prayer. And so 
some of you in here, maybe, maybe you struggle with this. Maybe this idea of works and faith has been something that, that you've had a difficult time with in your life. Maybe you were taught that works is a way that you can gain your, your salvation. And, and, and now reading this and hearing this, you realize that, you know what? I can never gain my salvation. That is not through my works. It's not through what I do. It's, it's only through faith in a relationship with Christ that I can find righteousness through God. And this morning you want to have a conversation or you just want to have a prayer, time of prayer about that. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, you know what? Like I just, I've struggled to live a life that is consistently centered around the gospel. And I just need help and encouragement to become confident, to become bold in my faith, maybe be it in my workplace, in my home, around a certain group of people. And I just need help. And that I want to encourage you this morning, maybe that, that, that's something you'd like prayer for. Whereas always, if you'd like prayer for something else that's totally unrelated this morning, you're always welcome to come forward for prayer as well as myself. And a few of our leaders are going to be up here for prayer, and they're going to lead us uh, through a final song as well. But we just want to have a time for prayer to close out our time here together, and then I'll come back up and we'll close out together as a group. But just want to invite you to come forward and have a time of prayer. And as you sit in your seat, even if you don't come forward, just spend some time reflecting and just thinking on what, in what areas of my life Maybe have I not given everything to God? Have I not fully surrendered? Maybe, maybe there's something I've held on to that I, I still have yet to give everything to Christ. Where I, maybe it, it, there, I haven't given 100% yet, and I still need to. And just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in that way. And so.